Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. Uh, I'm Jason. This is Kate. I'm John. And we are here with a very, very special guest. I'm Gary. Why don't you say your last name? Gary Burge. So we have an Al Berg on staff, and for the longest time, and I still struggle with everyone. I'm like, wait, is it Gary Berg or Burge? It is Burge. Burge, not like the Berg. No. Not like it's the Burge. Okay. Well, now tell us a little bit about yourself, and I'm super excited to have him on because here's the thing. It actually connects with what we talked about the last two weeks uh, on our sermon. Now, here's the thing. We didn't record last week because we were in Dallas, Texas. There were eight of us there, Mm -hmm. and I actually was going to see about bringing the recording equipment because how cool would that have been? But I'm kind of glad we didn't because I don't think we would have had time. It was like a bunch yeah. of ministry leaders hanging out together, like real world road rules, MTV style. In a without all room, the drama. Without the drama. And all the other bad stuff that takes Sorry, you're right. So it's nothing like that. It was nothing people. like the real world. <laughs> don't normally live together, living together. <laughs> and talking about like deep theological questions and just kind of like totally nerding out on that and having fun. And I was like, oh man, we should have <coughs> podcast recorded that. Well, and, and this was also, so for those of you who have been paying attention, we hired our new worship director, mm-hmm. uh, Sean. And so Sean came with us his first week. He'd been driving. He drove 16 hours from Georgia to here. Yeah. Got two nights of rest. And then immediately we hit the road and drove to Dallas, Texas. Drove 15 hours to Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Yep. Well, Gary, we're super excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, and we bring you on. Now, here's the thing. He, he is actually... This is recorded before the sermon, but he's going to be there this pre- this coming Sunday. How do this, I say yeah. that? It would be, he was here last Sunday, but we're he, recording pre So he's not there yet, but he will yeah. be there. Yeah. By the time you're listening to this, he's already been on. Timey-wimey. It's, it's like back to the future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and we brought you on because you are a licensed therapist, correct? Right. I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I also work in substance abuse as well. Okay. And you actually used to be on staff at Zion as a counselor for us. Right. For several years. And then uh, uh, my wife and I moved to Tucson. So we were in Arizona for a year, and she got homesick. And, and then you came back. Yeah, she said I could come back with her, which was good. We're here together, so I'm happy about that. Happy to be back. Well, it's great to have you back. And one of the things that I've appreciated about you is, and, and you and I have met just personally for some counseling stuff, uh, and, and one of the things that I've always found helpful about you is you're very practical. Uh, you love Jesus. And so we were excited, and I'm excited for what's coming up this coming Sunday. Uh, where we're going to be talking about the two weeks we've spent in conflict. Now, for those who are listening, here's kind of the backstory in case you missed the sermon. You can go online and watch it. But we essentially went into the Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, where Paul has this big conflict with Peter. And it's all settled around this issue of that Peter was eating with Gentiles, hanging out, having food, eating the same food as Gentiles, which is a good Jew Paul wouldn't have done. But God had an encounter with Paul and or with Peter, and Peter's view changed, and he changed. And then a bunch of Jews, uh, Jewish Christians from uh, Jerusalem came, and when Peter saw them, he kind of freaked out. And he went and stopped eating with the Gentiles and started eating with those from where he was before. And Barnabas and a bunch of other Jewish Christians followed suit, and Paul gets really mad. 
And so here's what I love about this is that uh, the Bible doesn't hide its warts. It doesn't hide the warts of its people. The only hero in Scripture is Jesus. So as we look at this, uh, this is a great time because it's a clear conflict. In fact, I would argue in the New Testament, it's probably the the upfront, most upfront uh, conflict that we see in the New Testament between Christians. We see conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, We see conflict in uh, several other areas. But here, this is the first time we see it between two disciples. That's really talked about. Um, Actually, Paul has a conflict with Barnabas, which we didn't get into, but led to a giant separation between the two. Uh, And so now we have this this big conflict in about four verses, and that's all that takes place. Sometimes, Um, like, when you hear about it, like, oh, Peter and Paul got in a fight, you almost feel like you're gossiping about the early church, you know? Like, when you first hear about it, I don't know, maybe my, my, like, my conversion or salvation is so close that, like, I remember hearing about it in passing, like, not reading that part of the Bible yet and being like, Wait, what? Who got in a fight? What happened? You mean Christians fight? Right? Like, it was so, it felt like almost gossipy to talk about it, but it's obviously not what's happening. But, well, I mean, if if you think about it, like, Paul says some pretty harsh things in scripture and he writes names of people. Like, that Mm -hmm. was like the, this is social media before social media was a thing. It's the Twitter thread that they didn't know they had. (laughs) The the God inspired Twitter thread. Um, so here's what we're going to do today. So we're going to kind of recap, but specifically we've invited Gary on and, and he doesn't know what we've talked about. Again, we don't go through any of the questions beforehand. We don't rehearse, but we just want to talk a little bit about conflict. Now, I'll tell you personally, I've been a Christian since 1989, uh, whatever the math is there, 33 years. Is that right? Coming up on 33 years. And I've been in full-time ministry for 20. Before that, I'd been serving in ministry. I started in ministry at 15 years old. That's a weird thought to me. So like I was leading in worship team, leading in youth group. I actually, my best friend and I, uh, we were the children's ministry team. <laughs> can you picture me in children's ministry? I can't. I, can. I can't now. I don't want to. But I, can't <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I piped you in a face last year. That was fun. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It wasn't even just last year. Well, it was last yeah, ministry last, year. Yeah, school year. Yeah, yeah. last school year. I go, I go by school I'd year do it again, though. Yeah, it was well worth it. it. <laughs> Um, but here's the thing. In all my years of ministry, church churches never have conflict. I mean, we never see conflict between church members. We never see people upset. People don't have opinions. Of course not. No. And in fact, every time in my 20 years of ministry, I've never seen anybody upset or conflict arise, said no pastor or church attender ever. I can <laughs> hear the sarcasm like, in your voice. And even I've only been a Christian for about six years, and I think that it's not something that we consider seeker-friendly, to use that Christianese term of, like, when you're trying to be evangelistic, is that the first thing you talk about? Is like, and by the way, you can and will get hurt here. <laughs> like, Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, think about it. So, like... <laughs> No one wants to say that, but think about the, I think the people I know who are not Christians who have left the church, one of the arguments is they talk about Christians as hypocrites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think part of our hypocrisy is acting like we have all of our stuff together. Yeah. So then if we, what if we were to actually prepare people and say, we're not perfect. Yeah. In fact, we're, I'm going to mess up as a pastor. I, I don't care if I'm the lead pastor, children's pastor, if I'm the worship pastor, director, I don't care if I'm just the average attender. I'm a human being. I'm going to screw up. Yeah. And anytime you have that conflict arises. And I've not always handled conflict well. I can tell you personally, there have been times I've said wrong things at the right time. 
<laughs> That's a skill set for me, especially when I was younger. I was always good at saying wrong things at the exact right time. <laughs> well, you know, Jason, we as, as a therapist, as a Christian, we have it all together. Right. We know it all and we can fix everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it's why like that's. mechanic's car. Yeah. It's, it's like a dentist with their teeth. Right. I am kidding, right? of course, but yes, absolutely. So here's, here's kind of what I want to do. And I want to start off by talking about why does conflict happen? And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. And obviously, as a therapist, I'd love to hear your perspective. Why do you think conflict happens? What's at the core of most conflict? And we dealt with some of this on Sunday. Um, but I think there are some key things that come in. Um, so let's talk about that briefly and where conflict comes from. And then we're going to get into, like, what are some strategies or some things that we can do to help work through conflict? Yeah, absolutely. I think that when we were looking up one of the you know, descriptions of what is conflict anyway. Like we got in, literally we got in a conflict talking about what conflict meant. Like everybody had conflicting views of what that meant. And really it just, when we looked at the verb of it and some of the synonyms for conflict, it was like discord, disharmony, disunion, where it's the opposite of agreement. And I think that happens in human nature because we all have a very different human experience that causes a bias in us. So that even, you know, one of my favorite examples when I use with my son, when he talks about conflict in school situation, he'll say, oh, well, they meant to do this and they were so mean. And I said, okay, well, Gabe, what's your part? That's just your perspective. How do you think this other person was feeling? You know, I could write a six on a paper and I'm looking at it and it looks like a six, but you, Gary, across the table from me, you see a nine. We're not wrong, <laughs> you know. My intention definitely matters. And once we talk about that, we can be re reconciled in that. But conflict happens, I think, a lot because of perspective and bias. What do you think, Gary? Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I agree with you many times, you know, over the years in, in doing this work is being in the church and being a therapist as well. Um, you know, conflict is inevitable. And it's something that is going to happen. It happens throughout, happened throughout the Bible, uh, many biblical accounts of, of conflict. And I think it's interesting, when I first got saved many years ago, uh, I walked in thinking, this is a panacea. This is utopia. Yeah. This Did is you say panacea? Yeah, uh, I guess. What, what is a panacea? I That's a great word. Popped into my popped Okay, into my John, head. define panacea. I'm, like, I don't know. Oh, like something perfect, I guess. Yeah. Just like, it's just so like it's this, like another word for utopia. Yeah, it's just this, like, this perfect and... Yeah, it's this place is so perfect that you can't imagine anything else. So I walked so into the church. So the church, Zion. It's kind of like it's all, Zion. a land of all together. So and it's like Zion. Yes. Zion, we are a panacea. <laughs> but it may not be the, the correct word, so we can delete that. At first I thought you said Pangea, and I'm like, oh, it's a conglomeration of land masses. <laughs> but it, I was, it, it was probably 10 minutes when I was in church, and I realized, hey, these are just people, and they some of them don't like each other. Yeah. And they're in conflict, and they're depressed and they're anxious mm -hmm. and they're sneering at each other and my wife and i said we would never fight again and boy did we fight yeah and so understanding that conflict is inevitable a lot of stuff is going to happen you know within the confines of, of christianity within the church and how we deal with it and how we handle it goes a long way as you said jason to show other people that walk in don't, don't know anything about Christianity. Maybe it's their first time here yeah. and they're, they're seeing us and we want to have that love and compassion with that grace and mercy as well, but also understand that we are not perfect and we are human and we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Well, and, and I think part of the struggle that comes in when, particularly in the church, 
is it's really hard. And I've been a Christian longer than I haven't been. So I almost don't, I don't know what it's like to not be a Christian anymore. Sometimes I feel like there's an expectation I'm supposed to have everything figured out. And when something challenges that, it actually attacks my identity. Like as a Christian, I'm not, I'm supposed to be right. And, and I, I know that there have been times, and, and I'll use my marriage as the key example, because honestly, I've had, I've had more conflict with my wife than with any other human being. Yeah. Because we're married. <laughs> because we, we, we yeah. can't escape each other. We see each other all the time. My wife knows me warts and all, right? She knows every part of me. But that also means there are times where we'll get in arguments. I mean, I, I still remember, oh, it's so weird. 2002, I was, I was recording an album. Okay, so I'm, it's a worship album of a bunch of original songs. I'm in, I'm in our living room recording this album, and we get into a fight. Like, I mean, full-scale fight. And then we get finished, and what do I do? I go right back, recording a song talking about how much I love Jesus, <laughs> which made her only matter because she's like, wait, how can you? We just got into a big fight, and now you're going to, and like, there were doors slamming in the whole bit. And, and in that moment, I felt so righteous and self-justified and maybe non-christians feel that way too i don't know i only know this perspective now <laughs> my only question is did that make it onto the album no. halfway through the song and quite frankly i don't think there's an existing album to have oh, anymore because okay, well. i think i burned every copy because it was so bad but i think there is this thing within the church that i see so often from christians that sometimes christians there's almost a sense that they have to be right yeah. and that leads to a lot of conflicts in a Church is so different than any other place that I've ever been in that there's an emotional investment to stuff. And so like when I see fights about worship styles, like I remember I went to First Baptist Church of Algon. That's where I came to Christ, 1989. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. This was 1989, traditional church that was moving to contemporary. We had an electric guitar, a drum set, a bass, a piano, an organ, and timpanis. <laughs> it legit go. had timpanis. There you go. I like this, I know what that is. They're like big drums that yeah. you, their pedals are really expensive, made of brass. Yeah. But there were fights then, but like we were so far ahead of the game. Like most churches weren't even thinking about contemporary music. We're doing both. And this is right in the heart of the worship wars. When you had traditional people who they had so much emotional investment and quote unquote spiritual investment that they stood the ground. This is demonic. You can't have drums. Drums are voodoo instruments. And and they're standing on a spiritual, like they're arguing from a spiritual, quote unquote, place that's not biblical in any grounds whatsoever. But I wonder how often Christians get upset because it's not just my emotion. Now there's a spiritual component. Oh, like we yeah. attach, you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. we attach God to our argument now. And now it's like God's on my side, not on yours. And that, that's what made me spin. Okay, I'm such an Enneagram 7. My brain in my head was connecting my argument with my wife about worship music. All these things just kind of spider webbed No, together. you're good. It's so I'm funny. thinking of like doing ministry. I am so personally, spiritually, and professionally invested in when I do children's ministry. I'm personally invested because I personally enjoy and feel called and put the blood, sweat, and sometimes tears into what I'm doing. I'm spiritually invested because I feel like it's called by God, ordained by God for me to be doing this, that I'm I'm following and obeying in the Holy Spirit. And I feel like, you know, and then we're professional as well. Like this is I'm this is my job. This is a professional setting. So then when you come in, when you have conflict in that kind of situation where you're so personally, professionally, and spiritually invested in something, it's like, oh, you're attacking me on all sides. Yeah. And it's like this conflict within myself of like, 
how do I create space? How do I separate myself from somebody's, whether it be a criticism or, you know, like uh, their own personal views, or if somebody comes to me and says, I think you should try the the Christmas program this way. And I immediately want to fly off the handle and be like, do you know what I've done here? Like, (laughs) do you know all the work that I've been in? I'm ordained in this back off, you know, and it's not like that. Like you have to create that space and and not have that conflict within yourself to react that way. And I think because we're so personally invested, you're, it feels like a job right away. And I think, but that's not just a, in ministry jobs. I think it's, oh, yeah. you in, you bring faith into just about anything and now it's an extra dynamic. Um, when you think about from a counseling perspective, because even like, I think anytime you add a component of complexity, so like, you know, Kate and I, we get into a fight, but here's the deal. We're not married. So we can get into a fight, we can walk away. But the minute you add marriage into that dynamic, now there's another part. Now you work yeah. together, like you and John work together. There's so many dynamics. I'd be curious from a from a counseling perspective, how often do, do those dynamics inflate uh, conflict? Like, what what's that role? And, and again, he doesn't know I'm asking this. Like, it doesn't, Jason. Shut up. It's interesting because what tends to happen? There's a couple, a few different things that tend to happen. Number one, it's the avoidance comes in. We're not going to talk about it. It really didn't happen. And, <laughs> and and if it happened, it didn't happen the way you thought it happened. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we love Jesus. Everything is fine. And you get into that avoidance and you get into this situation where we're just going to avoid any kind of conflict. We're going to push it aside. We're going to submerge it. But it finds a way out. It comes out sometimes passive aggressive, which means it's kind of behind the back, uh, can be things that we say or do. So, I mean, that's one of the things is we avoid it. The other thing is that that we can do is we can um, kind of misdirect it into other areas. And we can take it out on, on other people, that kind of conflict that we don't want to deal with as Christians. Because how do I look at myself in the mirror? Yeah. How do I love Jesus and and then say and do the things that I'm that I'm doing or the way that I'm acting? Yeah. And I remember when I was pastoring many years ago, I would get in. Invariably, there would be something going on with the kids or my wife and I would get in a fight five minutes before we got into the church. Yeah. And I step in. <laughs> That's, front I've of never had that happen. <laughs> I step in front of the Hallelujah. Praise <laughs> good to see you here today. Isn't God good? And with my wife sitting in the front row, my kids are there, and my wife is kind of going, and so we, we it gets misdirected at times, too, and we can take it out yeah. on other people. And the, the sad thing is that when we do that, we're just, we're taking that and we're further damaging ourselves. Yeah and other people rather than just directly getting into the conflict. What is it? What's happening? What's my motivation? What's going on here behind the scenes? Yeah. And what is underneath? What stuff am I bringing into this conflict initially? Well, and I think that's what I was saying with you, bringing those other dynamic sides to it, yeah. because now you're not just bringing one side, you're bringing... So like, I'm actually four people. I'm, my, I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a father. And I'm Jason. And sometimes what offends Pastor Jason may not affect who Jason is as a dad. But sometimes those two worlds collide or now you all add another dynamic as a husband. And now when all four parts of my being get offended by something or hurt by something, it's hard not to want to retaliate, yeah. not to want to fight. It, it, it complicates things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I 
uh, Kate and I were talking earlier today because we were eventually going to be launching an Enneagram podcast. Yay. I'm speaking it into existence right now so that yeah. we actually do it. There's <laughs> yeah. it's a level of accountability. It's going to happen. Here's our press release. Everybody. Here's our press release. Don't know when we're doing it, but <laughs> we were talking about how funny it would be to just do an episode solely based on how each Enneagram type handles conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like John is an Enneagram nine, which is the peacemaker. When he was saying avoidance, Absolutely. John's like, Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Well, I'm I'm kind of sitting here at the table listening to conflict and uh, and how how it comes up and how it manifests itself, and I'm like, oh, gee, I don't feel like I have a lot to add here. I, I'm just I don't I don't I do a lot Jason of conflict. <laughs> I don't do a lot of conflict, and I'm like, that's kind that's of the point. True, that's kind of the wife. that's kind of the point, though. You know, it's <laughs> that whole thing with avoidance is like that's really big for especially Enneagram Nine, but. You know, just you have this mentality of like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll just yeah. shove it into the back and it'll deal with itself. Yeah. And sometimes maybe, but other times it just kind of festers and boils up. And then eventually it comes out in these awful ways, you know, when I you don't my intend. Son too. My son's only 11 and he's kind of got a lot of these uh introvert avoidance styles that i see you know and john we joke about it john's his stepdad they're not blood related in any way but they're they're almost copy paste sometimes we're pretty pretty similar it's very similar and we see some of these tendencies that really hurt john as a young man or a young person that were like oh gabe hey we see this in you let's talk about it now and gabe a lot of times it's my son's name He'll, he'll start to get... A lot trapped. of times your son's name is Gabe. No, sorry. I was, I was like, my son, and I was like, I pro- and I said Gabe, and I said probably... <laughs> no, I, I was just messing with you. Most but, of the time his name's Gabe, sometimes something else. <laughs> well, I call him Gabo, too, sometimes. That's true. That's I, true. Try, I have a lot of nicknames. Anyway, so he'll get stuck in this feeling, and he'll almost be paralyzed by it, because he's so naturally driven to avoidance that when he can't avoid it any longer, and it boils up, it bubbles up, He's paralyzed by it, which is still very, very nine Enneagram to be paralyzed by that. And we'll have to stop. And I tell him to like ground himself, put his hands down, all all 10 fingers down on the table. And I said, what are you feeling? Why are you feeling that way? What can you do about it? Where it's like, I make him face that emotion head on because he doesn't know what to do with it. And I don't know if that's really that healthy or not, <laughs> but it's like that, that style when you're like avoidant. It's like, no, you really have to look at this because it comes yeah. out sideways. Well, and I think this is where we come at. And again, the Bible doesn't hold, doesn't hide conflict. It shows that it's there, but we do see conflict held in different ways. And one of the core things is sometimes for some individuals, we forget that God made us emotional creatures. Yeah. And some people have a harder time being in touch with their emotions. Mm -hmm. God has the full gambit of emotions. You said something a few weeks ago to me, Kate. You're like, no emotion is bad. An emotion is just an emotion. It's what you do with the emotion that's bad. Yeah. We we do that where we give it like a positive or a negative connotation. And then when when it's like, oh, I can't feel angry as a Christian. I can't feel sad as a Christian. I have the joy of the Lord. What's wrong with me? (laughs) That's the biggest thing where it's like, I'm not angry because I I should not feel angry. Because Christians don't get angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Mm -hmm. What they hear is don't be angry. Yeah. Exactly. That's not what it says. That's what I think sometimes. And it actually says in your anger, do not sin, which means you can't have anger that is not sinful. God got angry. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the things that I want to bring us to real quickly is this interaction between Peter and Paul. And I think, and this happens a lot, and a part of it has to do with how people read scripture. Sometimes we read Paul and we think Paul equals Jesus. Like Paul had everything figured out. Paul wrote 
two-thirds of the New Testament. We get most of our Christian wisdom from Paul. It's either Paul or, or Jesus. That's really it. And we forget that Paul was still a human being, that even in the stories of Paul, I don't know that he always handles things well. But then we read when he he talks about Peter, and it's like we almost forget to have compassion and empathy yeah. for mm-hmm. Peter's plight. Like in this case, and, and this is one of the things that I was thinking about as we were talking about emotions, right? Yeah. Paul in, in Acts or in Galatians 2, he makes this big assumption that the reason why Peter uh, stopped eating with the Gentiles was out of fear. Now, it's very likely it is. Yeah. I mean, there's actually a lot of biblical evidence that Peter had a tendency to be afraid of people. He, he cared way too much about the opinion of man. Um, in fact, we have, but this is why he's walking contradiction. At one point, when all of Jesus' followers are leaving him, and he turns, to, Jesus turns to Peter and says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter's like, Lord, who else? Where are we going to go for you? have the words of life. So you have Peter who in that moment is like, no, Jesus, I'm sticking with you. The same Peter who, when Jesus says, hey, you're going to, be, you know, you're going to deny me. He's like, I would never do that, right? And yeah. then what does he do? A little girl comes up and says, hey, don't you know, you know that Jesus guy? I don't know him. Yeah. And, and so we see this contradiction in Peter, like all of us. Uh, so it's possible that he had it. But think about this for a moment. Peter was raised his entire life believing Jews were good, Gentiles were bad. And in fact, a big part of Judaism is about being clean. You have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is all about God cleansing you of your sins. And you read the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and there's all these things that make you unclean. And what it means to be unclean isn't always sinful. Sometimes it just means there's death involved, or you're involved with things that are not holy. Right. And he was taught Gentiles don't believe in Yahweh, so they're not holy. Gentiles eat unholy foods. They eat bacon. They don't and, do anything to purify themselves. That's right. And so I don't want to defile myself. But in the midst of that, Peter had racism. He had ethnicism homegrown into him. And he has an encounter with the Lord. And it takes, you know, once God breaks through, Peter has this change of heart. But it's so hard to leave our family of origin, our stories. Mm-hmm. And there's no grace. Like, I, I kind of wish Paul had been like, and I understand why Peter was afraid. Like, I felt, I wish Paul had a little empathy for Peter's yeah. position. Instead, he just opposes Peter. And, she, and I, in my mind, it kind of comes across as shameful. Well, and I think Paul kind of has this, like, we were talking about it a little bit with Jennifer as well in one of the sermon read-throughs where it's like, Paul has been here doing this work. And it's like, who are you, Peter, to come in here and start undoing all of this that I've been working for. Like, nope. And he almost, he gets blinded by his tasks, right? Like he's, he's blinded by this mission that he has, Paul does. And he almost bulldogs over Peter, his brother in ministry, you know, with very similar. Well, he'll bulldoze over anybody. Anybody Anybody who gets in his way, Paul's just going to roll over. It's like, now you've lost the gospel. Yeah. You've Mm -hmm. lost it when you're willing to bulldoze over someone so that you can bring salvation to someone. And do we do that today in in the church today? Do we do that? Of course. Of of course we do. I just did it this morning. What are you talking about? I remember. And it's interesting when that conflict comes in, and and I'm going to use it, and and if I could, you know, even take it into today's environment, today's church culture. uh, uh, You know, as I said before, you know, I I do therapy, marriage and family therapy, but also many, many years working in a methadone clinic as well. Mm -hmm. And you see individuals really struggling, you know, putting needles in their arm and, um, it, you know, sharing the love of Jesus with them. I mean, some churches uh, would not accept 
yeah. some of those people to come in and sit down beside you. Maybe they've been sleeping under a bridge and they come in and they're malodorous. And, or know. they're prostitutes. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, there's or, all kinds of things or, that go and, down. And, and so I, when I think of that, you know, with Peter and what happened, Jason, that, that comes to my mind, you know, how much conflict that can raise just by who comes in and sits next to you in yeah. the church, right. who's acceptable, you know, and who's not acceptable. And, and I think we need to consider that as we're, you know, looking at uh, conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think, uh, and this just came as we were talking, the, the fear, I think, for me in conflict is that if I'm in conflict with somebody, conflict doesn't mean I'm going to win. And yet my human nature always wants to win. I could be wrong. And you made a comment about our current culture. So we have cancel culture. And I think part of the reason why we've adopted cancel culture so quickly is it's actually, it's a one-sided conflict. The person, you can't be wrong. I'm always right. And therefore I'm going to cancel you. There's no learning. There's no dialogue. There's no humility. There's no room for reconciliation or growth. It's just, you're done. And I think in a lot of ways, what our culture has embraced is, well, no, we we ended the conflict. No, because you didn't reconcile. You, You moved nothing that gave the opportunity for healing restoration. You just wanted that person to be and it's it, it is fueled by this like social righteousness where yeah. it's like you feel like I'm righteous in this that no you deserve to be canceled because you're a part of you know whatever insert here that is oppressing whatever other counterpart and so you deserve to be canceled whether whether it be that you know comments I think of that in this cancel culture it's like you anytime that you deviate from what is the mainstream now you risk being canceled yeah. and it's you know, glossed over with this righteousness of it, where it's like, no, you deserve this. I'm right. And some things do deserve to be canceled. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Behaviors. And and I think we have to be careful because the other side of that is, mm-hmm. well, we need to show grace, 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 grace. Okay, here, grace and forgiveness are not the same thing as keeping somebody or, or keeping behaviors. And I think this is a, a Scott McKnight in his book called The Church Called Tove talks about this problem that existed and has existed in church for decades now where we've glossed over sin because mm-hmm. we don't want to cancel culture. But what we'll do is then we'll allow perpetrators of abuse yep. to stay in positions of power because it's easier. Yeah. And then also, and I've heard some churches, well, it's all cancel culture. No, sometimes like, like Jesus said some pretty harsh things about wolves and people mm-hmm. who come in with false gospels. Paul said some pretty harsh words, but we're not talking about that here. We're talking about the average run of a mill conflict that can happen between two people. And how do we move into health in that? Um, you know, going back to that Peter conversation, I don't know about you, but I still have habits in my life that I've I've spent years trying to break. Yeah. And I don't know the author, and, and maybe you know more on this than I guarantee you know more than I do on this, Gary. But one of the things this, uh, I think it's called the power of habit. I was talking about neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned about the human brain, and when I was a kid, neuroplasticity wasn't even a word. Like I'd never heard of that. Uh, but I remember being told, oh, it takes 21 days or 28 days to break a, ha- a habit or form a habit. But new neuroscience is saying it actually takes longer. Uh, and part of it is, is that, and this is the way it was described. I think it's in, I think it's in the power of habit. But picture a road, right? Neuropathway is developing a road. And that road moves to an easier behavior because your brain wants to take the path of least resistance. That includes good or bad habits. And the truth is bad habits are always easier to form than good ones because they're mm-hmm. easy. Bad habits are, it's super easy to eat a donut, really hard to go to the gym, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the book, they talked about um, how if you want to create a new habit, you almost have to cut that old habit off at the pass. But that first habit, like let's say we've got an eight-lane eight lane highway 
that's coming in that's had years of things. 21 days isn't going to get rid of that habit. <laughs> but now you start, let's say I will use the donut working out in the morning. So I started working out at, at 6 a.m. in the morning about three months ago, four months ago now. And at first it was really hard. But here's what I know about myself. My habits over the years have been I don't work out at 6 a.m. in the morning. Actually, I'd prefer not to work out at all. Mm-hmm. I've got this eight-lane highway. Three, four months ago, I said, I'm going to cut that off at the past pass, and I started creating a new habit. Well, that new habit wasn't an eight-lane highway. It was I bushwhacked through the Amazon <laughs> and created my own little mini path. Uh-huh. And here's the thing. It took a lot of work. And yeah, I've created the habit, but all it takes is for me to avoid that a few times. And my brain goes, oh, wait, it was way easier to do the old thing. Which is why the lie, I think the lie is, and if I'm wrong on this, Gary would be like, nope, you don't know what you're talking about, Jason. But my understanding is, is that what neuroplasticity has told us is, yes, we can rewire the brain. But we have to realize is that even with those new habits, that old habit is always there. In Romans 7, Paul talks about that. The things that I do not want to do, I do continually. The things I want to do, I do not do because it's not I live, but sin lives in me. And, and so what it means is, is the more time I spend developing the good habit, or the new belief, which Peter, he had a lifetime of Gentiles were bad, Gentiles were bad, Gentiles are bad. He now has a small encounter with Jesus that forever altered his life. That was not this eight-lane highway of information, but this little bushwhack trail of, hey, think differently. No wonder when his old thing came up, he reverted, because that's what we all do. Am I, am I right in that? And if I'm not, say, Jason, you're off your rocker. No, it's it's interesting because, you know, in especially in... I don't know if we're diverging a little bit within substance work. Yeah, yeah. please. Nope, that's all. Really see that. See that, uh, see that a lot. And um, it, everybody is different in where they're at and, and what they're dealing with as far as substances go. But it, it takes a concerted effort and it takes time to be able to change. Now, God can do anything. Yep. We know there can be these instantaneous deliverances. And, you know, I've seen them. But they're they're rare, yes. and usually it takes a lot of work, mm-hmm. especially when you've been putting a needle in your arm or you've been taking twenty or thirty pills every day. And <laughs> excuse me, you get to the point where you you you're beating that. And I've had people tell me, "I'm good. I've got yeah. seven days. I'm good. See ya." Yeah. No, this mm-hmm. is the beginning. This is yeah. the bushwhack for this. You, is, this is the first step. You took yeah. your first whack at the trail, and you've gotten a few vines and, out. And of it's way. and it's lifelong. I'm yeah. a recovering yeah. person. You know, I think all of you know that, and and being able to to fight that, it's been a lifelong yeah. uh, process, and and it's going to be thankful. You know, I've got the Lord, you know, to help me as well. But no, you're you're right. We want to be able to break those habits, hold on to what we've been doing. Uh, the church can help that, and that's why the church is so important. Yeah. And but we also at times need to be called to the carpet. What's yeah. going on? And there's the conflict piece. There's the conflict. I want to be told. My wife is very good at it. But she she is being able to say, Gary, you know, let me get the little violin out because you're just over here. Whining. <laughs> you know, get you a little cheese with the wine, you know, and and I'm just like, no, I'm not. And that yeah. kind of self righteous, you know, I, I don't want to have conflict because I'm right. Yeah. And plus, I'm a therapist and I have a master's degree, so I have to be right. Sure. And that, sure. I'm being facetious, of course. And my <laughs> wife says, no, you know, here's what we need to do. Yeah. So being able to set that boundary and have the conflict. I grow from that, and I need to have that. Did you know that having my master's of divinity didn't make me a better Christian? <laughs> it just made me a more educated one. That's all. <laughs> you know, as we're talking about like breaking habits, and it takes sixty days to break a habit. I think that sometimes we look at that in this vacuum of perfect health, 
you know, you've got a lot of other stuff. Everything else is going really well, and I want to break this one small habit, so this is what I'm going to focus on. And I think we forget that life happens around us. We have a lot of other things happening. Yeah. I immediately thought of, like, substance abuse or alcoholism mm-hmm. and, and any kind of, like, um, other factor where even where you go, who you hang out with, even going to the same grocery store you would normally go to, and you're going down the aisles and you're getting your bread and your milk and you're, oh, I went to go grab the beer because every time I go to the grocery store, I grab a, yeah. a case of beer. I can't go to this grocery store anymore. So let's bring that back to conflict for a yeah. second because there are two types of conflict. There's mm-hmm. external conflict, conflict with another person, mm-hmm. and internal conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so this actually, thinking, I mean, this is totally different than where we were going, but I think this is good to hear because sometimes we forget that, let's use the alcoholic as an example. That decision to not drink anymore actually brings conflict into their life. Yeah. It's a conflict of values and habits and behaviors. And if I'm on the outside as a Christian and I'm judging and all I'm doing is wagging my finger, and, and I think this is part of what, when we talk about that three sides of conflict, we have to remind, remember, remind ourselves that we all have those moments, those habits that have been ingrained. Yes. And if I can remember, hey, man, no wonder this guy's struggling. He's had 20 years of drinking and he's had seven days or seven months of sobriety. And instead of coming with shame and condemnation, let's say I do have to have the conflict. Mm-hmm. Let's say I do have to have the conflict. I have the confrontation mm-hmm. with the person I love and care about and saying, listen, you're destroying your life. I know you're saying you want to be clean. Why are you going to the bar? But instead of coming with my finger pointed, I'm coming instead saying, hey, I love you enough to do this. And I understand how hard this yeah. is. I don't understand your hardness because you're going through something different than I am. But I have my own stuff that I keep on going back to. Yeah. And I wonder how much of conflict gets messy because at the center, and I, I, I might be wrong in this, but I think the reason why most conflict gets bad is because at the end of the day, the only person I'm really trying to protect is myself. Oh, preach it. I'm sitting over here, Enneagram 9, like, oh, I just want some more understanding in the world, please. <laughs> and I mean, I think about every time I've gotten in a fight with my wife, even with a coworker, usually it's, it's because the only person I'm thinking about is me. Mm-hmm. And I can't put yep. myself in the other person's shoes because I'm self-preserving. Yeah. And and yet at the minute that I'm able to look and go, oh, wait a second, I need to understand this other person. James, when it says, you know, you need to speak less and listen more. I think of that song in uh, Hamilton. Talk less. Smile. Mm-hmm. But listen more. Listen yeah. More. What are we were to say if it's, if we go into conflict willing to listen, but here's the problem. When I'm in conflict, the first thing that goes up is my shield. Mm-hmm. I don't want to listen. And, and I wonder, and I, I think this is purely hypothetical because we, we don't, we won't know until we get to heaven, but I even think about the Peter and Paul conflict. When we go into the next verse, so we, we talked about this idea of the funnel versus the filter, and that often when we go into conflict, we have a funnel and we're just funneling all the feelings and information and all the things we want to say. And the problem with the funnel is you pour a lot of stuff and it comes out a whole lot more powerful on the, on the downside, whereas a filter is slow. And it leaves a lot of the bad stuff behind. Yep. And I wonder if I wonder if when we read after verse 14, when Paul shares, and it's a very iconic, I mean, very well-known point of scripture where Paul talks about that we've been crucified with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if Paul, when he first had the encounter with Peter, that was his funnel. He was just mm-hmm. mad and frustrated. He opposed Peter. And now we have a little bit of time in between the story. And now he's filtering and saying, no, here's, here's what we need to remember, Peter. Here's why I'm so frustrated. Yeah. But he's, mm-hmm. instead of attacking, he's filtering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know. I, I wonder if part of it, and I, I'm, we're, I'm sure we're going to get it in this on Sunday, are, is, there a, is there a tip that you would recommend when people are first going into conflict? What would you recommend to slow things down? Because I think most conflict escalates quickly. Right, it does. And, and, and it's a good question. It, it's interesting because different personalities react different ways. But I believe that there's two, two types of conflict. There is a toxic conflict, and you very well could be right. And then there is the more healthy conflict. And I think when you begin to feel like you're going into a place of conflict is to look at at least two, at least two things. And number one is, um, who's in control here? You know, is there this selfish nature of Gary Burr mm -hmm. saying, I've got to be right, I've got to win, I've got to prove my point mm -hmm. because I'm right. The Bible says I'm right, so I'm right, and I'm going to take it, mm -hmm. and I'm going to make you see how right I am. That becomes, it very well could be right. It becomes toxic, mm -hmm. and it can create all kinds of things with that conflict as opposed to healthy conflict, which we can sit back and say, all right, Lord, what do I need to do here? Guide me, direct me. Yeah. Uh, what words do I need to use? And I think everything bathed in love and compassion. Yeah. And you, you said it, that love and that compassion. If we operate from the standpoint of, I don't really care for this person. You know, I have sat with people who have killed people. Mm -hmm. They've killed, that's really hard. And people who have, you know, all different kinds of sin, all different kinds of things. And how do you look at somebody and love them with the love of the Lord? When they, when they have committed that act. Yeah. You do that because you, you look beyond, you know, their behaviors and who they are, and you create that, you can create that conflict. It can be healthy to be able to say, I love that person. I have a heart for that person. That person needs Jesus. But you can still set the boundary, and you can still, you can still go into healthy conflict mode in that, if, if, the, if that makes sense, and, and to be able to do that. Uh, and I think also looking at your motivation. What is that motivation? Who's in control? Yeah. Is the power of the Holy Spirit in control of me while I'm going into this conflict, or am I? So if the Holy Spirit is not in control, who's in control? What's in control? Yeah, and there's, you know, I think I think one of the things that I know that we see in Scripture that comes down is when we seek power and control, usually it comes from an inner conflict. There's something inside of you that believes you have to be in control, you have to have power, you have to be right. And what the Bible consistently reminds us of is you don't have control, you don't really have power, and you're rarely right. And here's where, I, and I'll say this is a work that God has done over me in the last 10, 15 years. I had to stop viewing the Bible as a means to make myself right. Like I used to study the Bible so I could win arguments. I would read apologetic books and and everything was so that if I got into a theological disagreement, I could be right. I knew the Bible verses to back it up. And I remember going through my young, restless, and reformed, neo-reformed, Calvinistic view, which again, there are people who love Jesus, but I was more concerned about being theologically correct than loving people. And something that the Lord has done in me over the last several years is realizing that if the, if the only reason why I'm reading the Bible is to be right, you're messing yeah, and if the only reason why I'm reading the Bible is so I can win an argument. Because what if the purpose of the Bible is not so that I can be right, but so that I can be changed? What if the point of Scripture is the more I read it, I'm not reading to win my arguments. I'm reading it to, to actually tear apart my own arguments. And I think that's the scariest part, because now when I read the things that before, you know, theologically, how many people get in fights? And I think Paul was guilty of this to some degree. How many people get in fights over theology? over things that are secondary issues, not that important. And yet we use scripture 
And I remember my favorite Bible verses in Hebrew is when it says, I have the word of God is like a double-edged sword. Alive and active and like, yeah, it's a sword. It cuts through. I was using it yeah. like a battle axe, not a sword. Mm. And there's, I think there's a real warning for us as Christians that we can actually do greater harm in conflict when we bring God's word into it as a means to justify. Yes. Mm. We talk about this in kids' church all the time because we talk about the Ten Commandments, the armor of God. And in the Ten Commandments, we talk about, like, do not misuse the name of the Lord. And when we talk about that, you know, we put this in simple gospel terms where it's like, don't use Jesus' name as a bad word, but also don't say God said something he didn't say. And then we talk about this armor of God and we talk about the sword of the spirit. And when we talk about this armor of God, we talk about, like, everything else that you're putting on, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of righteousness of peace, right? And we talk about that. And they're all defensive. And now you get this final weapon. Yeah. And it's like when you were talking about conflict and it's what's the motivations, who's in control and who are you really fighting against? I think that's where sometimes Christians get it wrong. You know, we all do. Everybody gets it wrong with humans. But who are you fighting? You know, in a marriage, you know, if John and I are in an argument, mm-hmm. we're the same team, like one flesh, bro, yeah. uh, one flesh, bro. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> spoken like newlyweds. Yeah. That's right. He, like, he has the biggest smile on his face right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like we can we can fight with each other, but we have to remember that we're a team, and we there might be conflict on the team, and let's get to resolution so that we can continue moving forward in our teamwork. But the battle is against the devil and his schemes, schemes and yeah, the dark lies forces, of the enemy, right? yeah. Like, yeah. That's where we teach the kids that sword of the spirit, that double-edged sword, is not to go and fight your friends in school or at the mall because you're not going to do that. How many yeah. people get saved at the mall when you're fighting them? Yeah. No, it's to fight the devil. And well, it's it's like we're we're all a work in progress, and our relationships are works in progress. And it's it's so easy. Well, it's easy for me to think. I don't want to be a work in progress. I want to be done. I want to be good. I don't want to have to have conflict anymore. I don't need to have conflict anymore because we're good. Everything's good. And so it's, I think it's so important to remember that no matter who you're talking to or in relationship with, and if it's something internal, we're still a work in progress and that's okay. We're going to be a work in progress. We're going to work. Um, And and there is, so when you use the armor of God illustration, you'll notice there's nothing about the back. And in the Roman army, if you turned and ran away, you could be killed. Yeah. So, but the idea is, is that who has your back? Right. Each other. Each other. And yeah. and so when we have the us versus them mentality, which is really what Paul was upset about. Yes. Like I understand. I believe Paul was right in what he said and his frustration. I don't believe he was right in how he handled it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there was probably some shame and some frustration and and. Calling Peter out, I think he could have very easily gone to Peter. And maybe he did. Some scholars like, oh, we think he went one-on-one first. And I'm like, or maybe not. Like, why does he have to? He's human, right? But if we remember that at the end of the day, it's not us versus them. It's just us. Yeah. Like, when we have conflict in the church, even I think, oh, my gosh, this is so silly to me. I was part of the Reformed Church of of America, the Dutch Reformed Church. I was a pastor in the RCA. Back in the 1800s, the Dutch Reformed Church, is it's the oldest denomination in America. I don't know if you know that. They had a huge schism over education. Mm. And it split the denomination into two. The Christian Reformed CRC, which believed that education should only be taught, Christians should only teach Christians, that you should be in Christian schools, shouldn't be in public schools. And the RCA, which was like, 
No, we need to be a light in the school. They got so divided over this. It like divided entire towns. I remember talking to my pastor's wife and she's like, I was raised CRC. And the fact that I married an RCA guy, like my family didn't want to talk to me anymore. Mm. And I remember never even hearing of hearing of the RCA yeah. going, and we call ourselves the church. <laughs> like, wait, yeah. we're arguing over this. And sometimes we forget that it's not us versus them. The, the, the them that we're fighting against is the lies of the enemy. Now, sometimes there are human beings that are evil and we are against them. Hitler. Hitler was demonic, but he was the problem. And yes, I believe Satan used him, but Hitler was part of the problem. But most people are not Hitlers. Most people are brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus, who are just as broken as I am. Sometimes we go into a conflict thinking, oh my gosh, you're the worst. It's like, well, just maybe not. <laughs> yeah. And- I love it when, like, not to get off track, but I love it when teens and like that, that verbiage today is like, oh, you got to try this. It's the best. Or like, oh, I hate doing this. It's the worst. And it's like, yeah. The Holocaust was pretty bad, but you're right. Waiting in line. <laughs> the, worst. The, the absolute worst. Right. But even like, think about how much conflict could be resolved healthy because conflict can't be resolved. I, I said this, uh, Ray Davis was my pastor who said this to me. Conflict is inevitable. Battle is optional. And some things, some things you need to battle over. Jesus battled over stuff. Mm-hmm. The only difference between Peter and Jesus, though, is Jesus knew the hearts of the Pharisees. Paul didn't. He assumed. He assumed. And he might have been right as an assumption, but did he sit down and talk with Peter? And we don't get that. We don't see if he did or didn't. And so I don't. we can only speculate. But when Jesus did have conflict, he said some pretty harsh words. At one point, he called the Pharisees a den of thieves, mm-hmm. a brood of vipers. Whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed yeah, tombs. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He said some harsh things, but why did he say it? Because they were getting in the way of the gospel. And Paul, I could see Paul. I felt this way. I'm justified in saying these harsh words because they're in the way of the gospel. Yeah, this is a brother in Christ. And when Jesus says to, to Peter, get behind me, Satan, that's Jesus saying it because Peter was trying to get in the way of the cross. Mm-hmm. We know that Peter's heart is for Jesus and that Peter wants to see people saved. He's, he was a human being who made a mistake. Yeah. It's understandable, even if it's not always excusable. That's, and, and one of the things that I've told my children is a reason is not the same thing as a justification. Yep. Like there's a reason why we make that bad decisions and it's helpful to know the reason, but it's not an excuse to that too. No matter what, even if you say, sorry, there's still that natural consequence of sin. I always tell that to Gabe. I said, what happens if you rob a bank? He goes, go to jail. Unless you get caught. Even if you're sorry. (laughs) He goes, even if you're sorry. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. I wanted you come back to that point you you said about what are people to do? I mean, what, what can they do practically? And, And I mean, there's a lot of different things to do and look it up online or books or whatever, but, what I like to use is when couple or family or whatever is in conflict, believers, and even, you know, if, if the person is Christian and they're dealing with people who are not believers, is is looking at Ephesians 6.13, I think, that we wrestle not against flesh, flesh and blood. And blood. Yeah. And it, 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 it's interesting because if you if you put it in that perspective, and, 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 I, and I try to do that when I'm getting ready to fight with my wife. So I know we're getting ready to fight. We're getting ready to fight. <laughs> we're yeah, getting you ready know to what's fight. coming. We're getting, we're getting ready to fight. And 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 what helps is is to say, but she is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. That's right. Yeah. You know, the church boards, you know, yeah. are not the enemy. And, you know, staff is not the enemy, even though there maybe need, need some correction or some yeah. discussion and some education on different things. Sure. And that can be healthy conflict. But the toxic conflict comes in when we wrestle with the flesh and blood person that's sitting there. And then that's where things unravel. That's why the divorce rate 
think it's the same percentage as with the secular world. 50, yeah, there's, well, they've done some new research that shows that that model is not accurate okay. anymore. But right. but that's that was the that was the statistic used for the same is that actually, according to some sources, Christians divorce more than non-Christians. But the most recent models have shown that that model is skewed because it was only based on a small percentage. In okay. fact, Christians are two, two and a half times more likely to have a successful marriage than non-Christians. I stand corrected, and thank you. No, 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 that, because it's been going around for years. That was the, yeah. that well, that was the thing. What, that's what everybody yeah. reminds us of in the, in the research, but I'm glad it was. Uh, I'll have to show you the research. You'll love it. I would, really I would like that. But, but understanding, too, that, that we still get divorced. Yeah. Yeah. We still yeah. have problems. We still fight. We say things yeah. to the person that we love and to love and honor and cherish for all yeah. our life. And we hurt them. And we hurt each other with those words because we're wrestling against flesh and blood, yeah. Jason. I believe that. And using that scripture, I think, can go a long way to kind of stop the process if we can restrain ourselves and, and recognize that you know, we've got to give the power of the Holy Spirit control. Yeah. What's going to come out of this mouth? Uh, what's in the heart, yeah. and then be able to think, you know what? Well, what do we do? I don't actually have to say every word that I think. Yeah, that's not good, <laughs> though, because when you funnel it out without filtering it, and then it's intensified. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and sometimes you, I need to say some things, yeah. even yeah. if I don't want thick. to. Yeah, uh, exactly right. And exactly I, think, right. I think there's one thing that I, is, and I'll end with this, and that's interesting, is even though our battle is against flesh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and world of darkness, Paul actually talks about individuals who are operating on behalf of darkness. Mm -hmm. And there are evil people in the world. And there are some conflicts that are, they are operating as antichrists in the world. And the thing that I think it's helpful to reminder is when I'm in a conflict with somebody in my church, are they really the antichrist or are we just having a disagreement over styles of music? Because there are actual antichrists. And yes, sometimes they're even in the church. They are. But most time they're not. And I think the, the thing that I've been kind of working on, and I don't do it perfectly by any means, I'm trying to assume the best in people. That even when my, my wife or somebody in church says something sideways to me, instead of immediately going in and going, oh, I can't believe they said and telling all the stories in my head, because that's what I do. I tell mm -hmm. stories in my head, right? Mm -hmm. I try and go, wait, I know this person. This person and I have had a relationship for this long. They're normally really nice, kind people. Maybe they're having a bad day, or maybe I misunderstood. And it's yeah. a, it's, Incredible how far it goes when I assume the best instead of the worst, yeah. but my human tendency is to assume the worst. I think it absolutely. I think it's important. What helps me is to understand in conflict that mm. I'm only seeing a very small window in this. You know, we were talking about it in the um, sermon read through earlier that you might not know my triggers of that. Yeah. What you've said has now brought up something that has nothing to do with you, but because of my my past, my biases, my perspective, my human nature, my conflict within myself, now we're fighting and we have this conflict that has nothing to do with what we're actually conflicting about. I was like, why are you so mad? Well, you said this and it reminded me of this. And it's like, okay, now we're at the root. Like, what yeah. is the root here? Yeah, and that's, so here's, here's my hope. Next week, we're going to get into when Paul actually filtered <laughs> what I believe is the filter of what Paul said. Um, but as Christians, if we model conflict well for the world, I actually, you said something at the, the very beginning of this, Kate. Non-Christian comes in and like, oh my gosh, this church is messed up. I wonder if actually we showed them what healthy conflict looks like. That's what's the difference in how we do it. If they might actually go, wow, there's something different here. Like, 
And that doesn't mean we look for conflict, but that if maybe we model it when it is there, or, or, you know, I still believe in the rule, I need to be the first one to apologize. If there's a race to apology, and sometimes an apology, my wife is like, did you mean that? No, but I want to mean it. (laughs) Sometimes I apologize because I Mm. want to mean it, not because I actually do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think sometimes acknowledging going, I know I shouldn't feel this way, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I have to remind myself that, what am I apologizing for? Am I apologizing for my feelings, my thoughts, my my experience? No, I don't have to apologize for my experience of the world. Do I have to apologize for hurting you? I can do that anytime. It's like when I bump into somebody, right? We had this conversation, it's from a read through, like some sins, I can sin against somebody and it wasn't intentional, but a sin just means to miss the mark. So if I'm running through the halls and I barrel over John, (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for acting that out, John. Yeah, yeah. Was I intentionally? No, that's different than me. I'm going to run into John and cause harm. Yeah. No, it was an accident. I still say, hey, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Because sorry is a great way. Like, I didn't mean to hurt you. But even when I do mean it, I can say, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to hurt you. Now, the problem becomes when I say, I'm sorry that you were hurt. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry that you took offense to that. <laughs> well, hey. Uh, this has been great. Gary, it's been so great to have you, you here. Hopefully we'll have you on again sometime Absolutely. if you liked this. Thank you. Yes, I did. I think it's very healthy too and what what's happening mm-hmm. here. I hope a lot of people listen to the podcast because what was said here today from all different perspectives, I think can be very important for church health yeah. and continuing to um, you know work through our stuff. Yeah, so you know what you can do is you can forward the podcast on to your friends and get them to listen. So <laughs> yeah, do me right. a favor. Plug. Yeah, shameless, a totally shameless plug. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. We've really gotten some great feedback about this. If you've enjoyed this or you're liking these, send them to friends. Send them a clip. Tell them what you loved about it. Uh, leave a comment online if you want. Um, we're so grateful for those who are tuning in. We're hoping that you find this helpful and encouraging. And uh, it's, again, it's a glimpse into who we are, but also realizing none of us have this figured out. And that's what I love about it. Uh, well, hey, thank you so much. So much. Those are words. Too many words today. Thank you so much <laughs> for tuning into the Breakthrough Breakdown. I'm Jason. I'm Kate. I'm Gary. And I'm John. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown. Bob Goff, I love you so much.